Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And it's Josh. It is Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. And we are joined by a special guest today, a filmmaker who has a movie screening at the Mayfair soon called Coffee to Cocktails. So welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. Shout out to my homies. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> we always sound like the Muppets when we greet <laughs> someone here. I don't know why. Like, it's like the best day of all time. <laughs> and so it is making... Is it its world premiere? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Ooh, this is gonna be the first. Those. Yeah, this is gonna be the first time anyone's seen it, other than myself, my wife, and then uh, one of the other producers. Cool. Damn. Yeah, that's huge. And it will be open to the public. Anybody can come. That's right. Yeah. But I imagine also a cast and crew kind of screening. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much invited every person I've ever spoken to in yeah. my adult life. <laughs> to a great yeah. teacher and stuff like that, you exactly. know, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, specifically ninth grade to 12th grade teachers. Ah, but okay, yeah, nice. Enough. That's probably smarter. <laughs> I did it. I did it. Shout out to Mr. Goforth. <laughs> I like these screenings from a selfish, greedy business point of view mm -hmm. because you show a local movie and everybody who's in the movie will bring their mom and their dad and their husband or wife or friends and it packs the place because of that and that's a nice thing and also because when it's local it's the nicest thing to see people see themselves on the big screen or see their name on the big screen exactly you forget that that's kind of doesn't happen every day and it's also like a specific thing like you know if you get barbie and oppenheimer sure you know that's great that's playing in other places you want people to come in for that yeah but you can be like hey coffee to cocktails one place one time only see it here at the mayfair yeah I mean, everybody likes coffee and cocktails or one or the other i mean like i love both but... or both yeah yeah, yeah together and so this is a i always like independent films for this i remember working on some independent films and Although I appreciate people thinking big, there's sometimes where you're like, no, the reason why Clerks or Blair Witch worked is because they had a good idea, but they weren't doing car chases and they didn't have monsters and whatever. So keep it simple. There's no shame in that. Keep it simple. Tell a good story. Don't have 500 characters and costume changes and 80 different locations. So in this, we just watched a little behind the scenes thing. Mm -hmm. Is it for the most part all one location? Yeah, it's 90% just this one location in a small cafe, corner of a cafe. There's one scene where someone is actually walking to the cafe. So there's a walk and talk out on the street, and then they actually arrive in the cafe. But yeah, the thesis statement of this film was keep it simple, keep it doable. Yeah. You know, if you've been a part of film productions, especially on the independent level, I'm sure you've had something that you've been a part of that everybody was really gung-ho and excited about, and then it just died, either in pre-production or in the edit, and it didn't get finished. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cast this or if I have to ask all the parts myself. I don't know if I'm going to be able to film it on a cinema camera or on my phone. I don't know if this is going to go on streaming or on a VHS tape, mm -hmm. but it's going to get finished. That's the one thing yeah. that I'm committing to is it's going to get done, and I'm going to be able to move on to the next thing and say that it's finished. Yeah, because and you look at projects like... Reservoir Dogs is a smaller movie than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And even though that movie had some actors in it, they were smart to be like, we've got this much money. We've got this much time. Ooh, we're going to save a lot of time if we do a large chunk of the movie in a handful of locations. And I like that. It really shows cinematic ingenuity to tell a good story on a limited scope. Exactly. It's all about the efficiency when it comes to independent filmmaking. And so basically the idea was I set it in one location and I wanted it to be a location that we had access to 24-7. Like I didn't want to frig around with having to rent out a cafe and go in after they were closed and put things back. I wanted to set up lights once 
and then have them set up throughout the whole production. So we ended up making the set in my dad's basement in my brother's old bedroom. And so that just lived there the entire time that we filmed. Every time we went to film, just had to plunk the camera on the tripod basically and we were ready to go. And that eliminated so much wasted time that you typically see on set setting up and tearing down at the end of the day. And it was the right decision because we ended up having to jump in there a few times uh, and film last minute. And it helped to complete filming of the movie in just around a month. And after that, my dad's basement flooded. So I'm glad, oh. that, I'm glad that we were uh, efficient in that and it didn't drag on. Dude, that's good for the sequel, though. You could have like, so it's like a flooded version. You're like, this is in Vienna now or something. Like, this is really nice. But that's great. So I'm not even just saying this to be nice. I just watched the behind the scenes thing and I've seen the trailer and I 100% was going to say, which coffee shop did you shoot at? Oh, that's Same. so great. I was shocked. You blew my mind when you said it was, well, I was going to say some guy's basement. I'm not, not to you, I'm, to me, some guy. But like, that, I never would have thought that it was an actual set. Dude. Yeah, because I have shot in a coffee shop before and we did the thing of basically the horrible independent movie thing of it was we knew somebody who worked there yeah and we shot overnight even in when you're in your 20s it's horrible nobody <laughs> wants to shoot overnight no. you know and it was a coffee shop that was in the kind of downtown spark street kind of area Ooh. and it had weird hours because they made all of their money between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. Right. So they actually closed a little earlier. They didn't even stay open for people to get a coffee on the way home from work. So we stayed there from 4 till 7 a.m. and just shot. And it's doable and you got the location, but, oh, it's horrible. You know, 4 in the morning hits and you realize you still got stuff to do and you're just like, oh, this is the worst. (laughs) Well, that was another thing that I was really cognizant on about this movie was paying attention to the needs and wants of the cast and crew. I didn't want to ask too much of everybody, especially because it was all volunteer basis. So making sure everybody was fed, making sure nobody was overworked, making sure everybody was happy enough to come back the next day. You know, I did a lot of in the middle of filming during lunch breaks. I'd be like, hey, did I say anything in the middle of filming that pissed you off? Because if so, I want to address it now. So it's not hanging over everybody's heads. And like, if I stink, you know, if my deodorant wasn't working today, like tell me and I'll address it because I want to keep everybody happy. That time I threw the director's chair. Was that okay? Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's, and Lee has a lot of that too. Like when he's doing his stuff, and we have we both worked with him, and it's yeah. like, yeah, you don't, you're not doing it for the money. Obviously, like you're doing it for the love, and, and it is fun. But it's like, yeah, I think of that a lot too. Like where you, you're just kind of having to corral people, but nicely, and not overstep or piss someone off that you need for another three weeks. You know. I always think the most important question is, what did you feed your crew? Because. Mm. I have learned, I did some short films back in the day and my mom was our craft service person and made us chili and made us sandwiches and made us dessert. And that crew, to this day, I know people in that crew who are still working in film and they'll ask about my mom and how she's doing because they were so, got such an attachment to her of eating good food versus here's a bag of chips, go back to work. (laughs) A muffin. (laughs) Oh yeah, I mean, people appreciate food more than anything. I myself am motivated almost entirely by food. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, yeah, my wife who co-produced the film with me and she also did, she was the AD, script supervisor, set photographer, behind the scenes shooter, she did a ton. She made some food, she made some really nice chocolatey banana bread. But for the most part, we just went to cost Costco. I got this tip from my boss, actually. Went to Costco and bought these giant boxes of granola bars, Welch's fruit snacks, pizzas by the box, and that kept everybody pretty well happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the thing. When people are doing it for the love of the game, they so much appreciate just that, having food there. Because it's, God, it's just making a short film or a feature or anything. It's why... Eric and I are bad at being film critics because you could watch a bad independent film, but they did it. And the sound 
is synced and you can see it and there's credits on it and it kind of makes sense and you're like good for you everybody yeah. you made a movie filmmaking <laughs> is hard people take for granted stuff like the sound being in sync and sounding correct and you know doing this the stereo mix properly you know like Everybody just assumes that that's easy, but once you get down to do it, like I have five years of video production experience in the corporate realm, the company that I work for, Extreme Line Productions, who lent out most of our gear to us and some of the crew, actually. I've spent five years working there, so I went into this picture being like, yeah, I pretty much know what I'm doing, at least when it comes to video, and like I can get by with sound. But then once I got to the actual sound edit and the sound mix, I was like, holy crap, I'm a complete amateur. I know nothing. Kill me now. Well, and that's the thing, too. I'm always so impressed. So recently, there was a Disney cartoon for their 100th anniversary. It's on Disney Plus now. But it was animated by a local production company. If you watch the behind the scenes thing, it's that great story of the director who is an Ottawa native who now works for Disney was like, we want to do this short film that has over 300 individual characters, has CG, hand-drawn animation, live action background. And it's a simple story of a family photo, all these characters getting together. And they were like, it's impossible. We can't do this. And he said, I think we can do it. And then the local production company said, it's impossible. We can't do this. <laughs> and then they did it. But before they did it, it was impossible. And you hear that all the time of yeah. a new kind of camera, a new kind of effect thing, a new kind of whatever. And I always loved about film where it seems that whether it's Jurassic Park or a little independent movie, it's like, this is impossible. And you pull it off somehow. And I always think that's so endearing to the lunatics who make movies is that they're like, we can't do this. And then they figure it out. Well, you got to set goals and you got to push yourself outside your comfort zone. My whole thing with this movie was I wanted to get it done fast. Yeah. I didn't want to cut corners per se, but they say perfect is the enemy of done. I didn't want to be polishing the script and polishing the edit for years to come only for it to never come out. So I wrote the script in about six days and then pre-production was about two months. We shot in a month. And then post-production was three months. So all told, from the time I put pen to paper to the time when it is screening, it was about six months. And that just came about from me being like, okay, let's try to film by the end of June. That's crazy, but we'll try. Oh, that didn't happen? Okay, we'll try to film by the end of July. Oh, we got it done. Okay, great. Let's try and have the edit done by the end of September. Crazy goal, but let's try. Oh, it didn't quite work? Okay, end of October. Oh, hey, we did it. That lent to a lot of efficiency to just like push, push, push and set a lot of semi-unrealistic goals. But hey, they turned out to be kind of realistic. Yeah. And is it everybody like one costume, no costume changes? Exactly. So that makes it a bit easier. Yeah, it takes place in real time, basically, over the course of an afternoon. While I'm at it, the logline of the film is basically round table of conversations at a cafe table as the afternoon slips away and the drink of choice goes from coffee to cocktails. So it takes place over an afternoon and that led to some annoyance for me because I put myself in the film and I'm in every scene not really realizing that I would have to wear my character's costume every single day and direct in my character's costume. So I, I was doing laundry at the end of the day, like every Oh, God, day. yeah. And was the shoot close enough to each other that you didn't have to worry about haircuts? <sighs> or did you? Because oh, Lee man. had that. Poor Lee had to shoot over COVID on and off. And initially, yeah. his movie was going to be about a kid, like a kung fu movie with a kid. Right. And if that would have happened, the eight-year-old would have turned into a 10-year-old. Exactly. And his yeah. movie would have been shot. So luckily, that didn't happen. But haircuts on independent films are the biggest problem because instead of shooting over, oh, we're shooting over four weeks, we're shooting over weekends, over six months. I always think that's the thing that you're like, oh, that guy's hair is different. Yeah. Well, we were all working. I mean, I was working still at my day job while shooting it. So we are mostly shooting on weekends. 
and Wednesdays apparently was our day of choice during the week. So they were pretty spaced out, but thankfully we had a great script supervisor and continuity expert on our hands. So there were some days where we filmed the shot and then a week later filmed another shot that are supposed to take place two seconds apart and you cannot tell. Oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And that again lends to the success of leaving the lights set up the whole time, basically not changing anything about the set. It made everything really easy to match, with the exception of we did one lighting effect with a fake window where scene to scene, it makes it look like the sun goes down. That's pretty much the only thing that changed week to week. And there's some continuity errors there, but I don't think anyone will notice. <laughs> that will be fine. We will now. <laughs> I'm really looking for it. I was like, oh, that's the fake sun going down scene. <laughs> yeah. Looks terrible. Like, no, no, I'm sure it looks great. One of my favorite continuity errors that I did not notice after seeing the movie multiple times is in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, <laughs> Captain Kirk is having dinner with a 1980s lady, and they're trying to get the whales out of her aquarium. And there's a candle on the table, and it cuts back and forth between William Shatner and her. And I swear I probably saw the movie six times before it got pointed out to me. And the candle just goes like up, down, down, up, down, up, because they shot all of mm. Shatner's stuff. And then turn the camera around and somebody didn't replace that candle. So it just went like a candle would. And once you know about it, it's the most jarring thing. Like, yeah. Why does that candle keep moving? But if you're not told about it, I know Trekkies who've watched that movie a bunch. And I point that out to them and they're like, oh my God, I never noticed that before. So that's the one thing about continuity errors is if you're invested in the movie, you can miss giant exactly. things. Yeah, one of my favorite ones, a real subtle one, is in Terminator 2, the awesome scene where he gets on the motorcycle and then steals the shotgun from the oh, guy. Yeah. yeah. He walks up the stairs and you actually see him take his hand off the shotgun and then they cut and his hand's back off on oh, the shotgun yeah. and he takes it off again. But that's such a dynamic scene, you don't notice it. Yeah. But one of my favorite examples of excellent continuity is Back to the Future 2. At the beginning of Back to the Future 2, they mix some shots from the end of Back to the Future 1, which was shot like at least a year yeah. prior. And they had to shoot because they recast Jennifer. And they cut between shots, again, shot a year apart, and you can't tell the difference. Wow. It looks like it was shot on the same day. Yeah. Excellent script supervisor. It's crazy when they pull off stuff like that. What an impossible job. Imagine being a script supervisor on like Saving Private Ryan or something. Yeah. Or a Star Wars movie. It's just impossible. I can't imagine how hard that job is. Yeah, at that point, you fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> you got money to throw around. Yeah. I still want to see the version of your movie that does have you in all the roles. I feel yeah. like <laughs> that would be like maybe even more fun to watch. He's like, man, he is killing it. He's literally everywhere. Yeah, when we cast, I was like, no, oh, this is going to be less fun for me. But. <laughs> <laughs> like I had a good thing going. Although you wouldn't have probably pulled it off in six months at that point if you were playing literally every part. But no, for knows? sure. But our actors really killed it. And I was throwing so much at them because I kind of wanted to film it like a play the film is basically made up of six scenes each with two people at the end of one scene one person gets up is replaced by another person then the other person gets up and so on and so forth and each one's about 15 minutes long so i was doing like 15 pages at a time filming with them and which was so much to throw at them to memorize but i am so pleased with their commitment to it and uh their overall performance so big shout out to all the actors on that that's my biggest thing about plays versus movies or tv you go see a play and you're like wow they just memorized 90 minutes of stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas on a tv show or a movie sometimes it could be as little as like one line and then you have a couple hours off now you know unless you're shooting like a big monologue and that always impresses me when I, I, it takes me out when I see a big monologue. I'm, I'm always like, wow, that's impressive. Seriously. <laughs> I always think, man, I, I don't know if I could do that. Like I would yeah. get lost halfway through that monologue. Yeah. Meanwhile, I play the waiter in the film and I have lines like, 
would you like anything else? And I'm like, wait, what is it? I, would I like anything else? No, it's you. Okay. Okay. Got, yeah. Okay. One more take. Oh, man. And, you're like, who wrote this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Were the actors all new to you or was it any friends who you tricked into being actors? Oh, well, that's a story in and of itself. So... <laughs> Most of them were complete strangers to me. We put out the casting call online. Some of them were fresh to acting. Some of them had acted before. But there was one actor who shall indeed remain nameless <laughs> that we cast and they came to the table read and they came to a rehearsal and they came to another rehearsal. And then their day of filming came and the morning of they were like, I'm not feeling well. I can't do it. Let's push it. So we rescheduled another morning. I'm still not feeling well. Can't do it. I have COVID. Okay push it two weeks out. We come back first day of filming. We get an hour into filming and he's like, yeah, I can't do it. What? Like and on the set? He on, was straight the, up like, on the set. Oh yeah. my God. So we went and talked it out. I was like, Hey, what's up, man? Is, is everything okay? He's like, I'm just, I'm having some anxiety. It's a bit too much for me. I'm like, I totally understand. These things happen. We have another day of filming scheduled tomorrow. Or are you going to be good for that? He's like, yeah, I'll be good for that. And went back to the crew. I'm like, okay, I guess we're done for the day. I'll message everybody. And then that night he's like, I'm really sorry, but I don't think I'm going to be able to continue with this project. So then I had to let the crew know. Meanwhile, my producer and co-cinematographer has been running lines with the other actor for the next day's scene. He goes, you know, it's less than 12 hours notice here, but I think I'm getting the hang of the lines because I've been running them for the past hour. I think I can play the role. I'm like, you know what? You got it. And so we were able to keep on our schedule for the very next day. He filled in the role at the last minute and he killed it. And is he not an actor? He's done some acting before, okay. but not in a couple of years. Right. So right, right. I work with him as part of our day job at Extreme Line Productions, as yeah. I mentioned. So I've known him. We're good friends, been friends for the last four or five years. So he definitely saved the day on that. And I can't wait for everybody to see his performance. That's amazing. That's a good story. Shout out yeah. to Kevin. I love it. Did you find, did you add any lines as you were filming or like tweak anything as you were going along? Like maybe you thought of something else kind of thing? And oh yeah. I mean, I tried to leave it as open as possible to the actors. I told them up front, like I want to create a very collaborative environment. No egos here. It's not like I'm the director. So do as I say, it's like best idea wins. So I encourage them to contribute a lot to the roles and nice. come up with random things on the day. Like we came up with a couple cameos from our other crew members that were a lot of fun and hopefully those get some laughs <laughs> cool so where do you go after the big grand mayfair canadian premiere do you got world premiere world premiere <laughs> forget canada yeah, come on yeah world. no it's everything are you submitting to film festivals now and that kind of stuff yeah, so now that the film is complete, as of only a couple days ago, I did the final export, we are going to turn our attention towards film festivals. But for the most part, I wanted to keep my sights set on the Mayfair premiere date because that was what was important to me, getting to show it in front of a live audience on a nice big screen, cast and crew get to celebrate. I was like, once we're past that goal, then I'll turn my attention to film festivals. But prior to that, got my sights set on one thing and one thing only. The best theater in town. Yeah. yeah. In the world, even. That's why he did the world premiere here. That's, That's why I heard. Cause it was he the had best. other offers from other yeah, theaters. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I have some emotional attachment to the Mayfair, you know, like on my wife and I's first dating anniversary, I want to say, we came here and we saw Nosferatu mm. oh, cool. with, uh, I think with Shooting Guns, but so uh, whatever the band was at the time. And we have, we've also been here for Greg Sestero as well for his yeah. Q&A when he screened Best Friends slash Fiends. Oh, man. So we've loved the Mayfair and we relished the opportunity to come screen here. So you'll be back in January then, obviously, for Greg's big thing. Oh, yeah. Got to get a second autograph. You see? Yeah, right? It really is nice. It sounds very um, 
schmaltzy. But whenever an independent film comes in or whatever, and the filmmaker's doing their speech, for us on the Mayfair side of things, you're like, oh, wow, we are doing something cool that out-of-towners and filmmakers appreciate getting on our screen. Yeah. And because whenever... Whatever your job is when you're in the trenches of it, you're just like, oh, a Coke order got screwed up and someone's coming to fix the heating and a light bulb's broken. So it's nice to kind of have that reminder every so often, whether it be just stuff we do that people love, like Saturday morning cartoons or Rocky Horror. But it's such a nice compliment for us that people love being on the big screen here. And just when people are outside taking pictures of coffee to cocktails will be up on the marquee and that kind of thing. Ooh, can't wait. I love that. I wonder what it'll be. Now I got to look. What's the other movie? that day that you're sharing the screen with well this gives us an excuse we can jump in i said we always talk get distracted but let's see you didn't memorize all the movies and the days they're playing oh it's a good day so you'll be on with a highly claimed new movie called anatomy of a fall Mm. okay stop making sense Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, you see? And Saturday Night Cinema. Oh, man, you're on the cinema day? That's a good day. That's oh. that's a good quadruple bill. Come see all four of those movies. Wow, that's great. I mean, I don't think I'll be able to make it to Stop Making Sense, but I that would be yeah. cool. I actually, I have the vinyl record of Stop mm. Making Sense from when my mom bought it back in the day. Oh, damn. Classic. Yeah. So let's hop over and talk about the other movies that we're screening this week, along with Coffee to Cocktails. As mentioned, we have a couple of new films. One is called... The Persian version. Ooh, what? Uh, That's a I great heard title. this is very Crazy Rich Asians kind of a movie. Okay. It won the Audience Award and the Screenwriting Award from Sundance. Wow. And was a Grand Jury Prize nominee. So big festival cred for it. The logline is, when a large Iranian-American family gathers, a family secret is uncovered that catapults the estranged mother and daughter into an exploration of the past to discover they are more alike than you know. So it's a mother-daughter, think takes place at a wedding, family comedy drama. Yeah. But just that it won those two awards at Sundance means it's more than just fluff, I think. And the best title award, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's just fun to say. Even the if Persian I'm, version. Yeah, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm never going to forget that title. Then our other new film this week is The Anatomy of a Fall, which was, again, talk about some awards, was the Cannes Film Fest Palme d'Or Award winner. Oh, Jesus. And then I like this. I'm not making this up. It was the Palm Dog Award winner. Come on. Uh, okay. Best dog. That, come on. That's a real award. So the Cannes Film Festival gives out an award for the best dog, you, evidently. There's enough movies every year that have a dog. Or are people just like putting a dog. You should have put a dog in your movie. And then you're like, oh, That's we're the up. next thing to shoot for. Yeah, just one shot of a dog. You're like, well, we're up for it. Doggies and Cocktails sequel. I would watch. Oh, yeah. Set it at a, uh, a shelter or a, or a pet food store. Oh, that's easy, yeah. But I'm so distracted that this movie won the Palm Dog Award. That now I want to go see this to see how good this dog is in this movie. Yeah, like is the dog an actor in the movie or was it just like in one scene? Like I'm Well, because so I always say, and we just showed this a little while ago, I argue that the greatest dog in a motion picture is the dog in John Carpenter's The Thing. Okay. I yeah. think that's the best dog acting I've ever seen in a movie. And it makes me a little... I got to ask John Carpenter this, but I'm like, I hope you guys didn't actually scare that dog because that performance was so good. But anyhow, this movie is a thriller about a woman suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness. And the blind son has a seeing eye dog? Oh, that must be the dog. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Nailed it. I, I know nothing about this movie, but I feel like that has to be. The dog knows. So yeah. the dog saw something. Oh, wait. So the dog saw the murder. 
the dog maybe saw the murder or didn't. Oh my god! So at the end, the dog is on the stand. Maybe and it's like <laughs> rawr, rawr, it's like pointing at the guy, <laughs> Scooby Doo style. Holy! This movie in our heads is much better than the real movie. But this movie, you know, sometimes we screen a movie and maybe it's hard to find good reviews for. This movie on Rotten Tomatoes is nothing but five star reviews. Damn. Five stars from the Telegraph. Grade A plus from the reader, and it's got ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It looks really good. Really good, like burner murder mystery kind of thing. And I, and I kind of avoid too much information on these movies because I like going in yeah. without knowing too much. Because sometimes you read a couple of reviews and you're like, oh, you just told me the ending or something, but. Did any of the reviews mention the dog? Like the greatness of the dog's acting? I don't think they did. Because that's weird to me. It won the palm the dog. Palm dog. That's, I still don't believe you that that's real. But These anyway. critics aren't watching closely enough. Seriously, yeah. right? Oh my God. Okay, so we'll definitely watch that. That's not at all what I thought you were going to say that movie was about. I got It's be a dog honest. movie. Yeah, well, that's, I guess, cool. I mean, the dog award thing. I might never get over that, but yeah, it's pretty neat. Then we are screening, what is it? 164th presentation of The Room. 165 will be in December, and then in January, as we kind of mentioned, Greg Sestero is coming back for a triple punch of The Room, Big Shark, and what's his new movie? Miracle Valley. Miracle Valley. I was going to say Mission Valley. I was going to say Death Valley, so we're not doing great. Something Valley. It's not Best Friend. Best Friends, Best Fiends. directed by him, even though I thought it was. No, this is his directorial debut. Yeah, I really thought he directed the other ones. But anyways, no, but those were good. I thought uh, I think he produced, wrote, and starred in Best Friends, Best Fiends. Yeah, so I guess that makes sense. He was like almost everything except the director. But this is Greg. I don't know if Tommy's ever coming back to the Mayfair. <laughs> and that's a whole other thing that there could be a documentary about this documentary now. But some local folks made a documentary about The Room. And Lee has seen the rough cut and said it's very good. I will say this neutrally with no slander, but I think where they got in trouble was they may have used clips or sound cues or whatever without asking permission. And the fight was over fair use in a documentary versus Tommy didn't like your documentary. Right. Is this room full of spoons that we're talking about? Okay. And it went to court and the documentary guys won as far as I understand it. So that made Tommy mad at our country. (laughs) Yeah. And so we're still, we were worried genuinely that he might be like, I'm not letting you screen this anymore. That didn't happen. Thankfully. But no word on if Tommy will ever come back, but Greg is coming back and Greg is, Tommy is genuinely eccentric and thinks he made an excellent movie. Whereas Greg (laughs) is kind of riding the so bad it's good aspect of it. Well, if Tommy is so upset about somebody making a you know a documentary about the room, he should make his own documentary about the room. Because like, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Tommy had a videographer recording. I will record everything, recording yeah. basically everything that went on on set. And I don't know if that footage has ever really been touched. I guess not. Well, and yeah, I mean, you hear a lot about that too, and you're just like, I would love to see. I don't expect that documentary would be like a hundred percent accurate. I guess would be the way to say it. But I also think it would be entertaining as hell. Oh yeah. Where is that footage? I mean, he must have hundreds of hours of footage greg's got to convince him to, to that'll be a question we can ask Seriously. greg that yeah was yeah. there a documentary crew filming the whole time that's a good were... point yeah he would for sure know i think it was just one kid i think his name was marcus or something if you yeah. read disaster okay Artists, yeah. you can fact check me on that you can tell that neither of us have read disaster Artist. you haven't read disaster <laughs> Artist? oh, oh my god disaster artist a while back and i tell people even if you have no interest in the room it's fascinating you can't write that story of a young up-and-coming kid goes to hollywood and meets tommy wiseau and now 20 years later is still attached to that and has moved on to do other things in his own right but that's attached to him forever for better for worse good news you're making some money bad news you're in the room 
Well, I mean, but it's a great book overall. It's oh, one of very my favorite much. Books. I'm a sucker for a good dual narrative. So that the way it bounces between the making of the room versus the making of Tommy and Greg's friendship, I eat that up. Oh, yeah. And then speaking of documentaries, kind of a documentary, we are screening the concert film Stop Making Sense. It's the 40th anniversary, but it's weird. The 40th anniversary is actually next year, but they're releasing this this year. So I guess it's the 40th anniversary of the concert. I don't know why they jumped the gun a year, but maybe they were just like, oh, this is done. We want to get it out. Well, it doesn't have to make sense when you're talking about stop making sense. But oh, God, you don't got to plug this movie. It's great. It's just most people consider it the greatest concert movie of all time. It's so fun to watch. And from what I've heard of this restoration is the sound mix on this new restoration. Even if you saw it on 35mm back in the day, this is going to sound staggeringly better. So I'm so looking forward to that. And when you see a movie like that at the Mayfair, whether it's, you know, something like even Purple Rain, that's not a concert movie per se, but has that in it, you really feel like you're at a concert. And there's that buzz in the air and people are clapping after each song. Right. So I'm so glad we got a hold of this movie. Yeah, the acoustics are so good in there. It honestly, even like if you're working at the candy bar, it's still just booming. Yeah, it, like feel like I remember the it was like a Aretha Franklin. Uh, oh my god, one and it's just yeah. crazy. Like it just, I think it was they did it at a church or something like yep. that. And it yep. sounded so good. Yeah, I love showing concert movies, and plus, I'm guilty of not listening to a lot of music, especially in the kind of podcast audiobook era. If I'm doing dishes or walking the dog, I'm kind of listening to something like that. So I like a concert movie. It's almost like going to the orchestra. It forces you to sit and concentrate and focus on the music and it's a concert movie there's nothing in it. it's not even a behind the scenes documentary thing like some of these movies are it's the show yeah and it's one of the greatest ever ah so good then we have right after a screening we will have a saturday night cinema huge have you been recruited for that yet not yet and it's funny because well it's not funny at all but anyways i've got a family reunion thing oh. for saturday yeah and so like it's in carlton place there is a chance of coming back technically long story short if he asked me to do it i could do it but if he doesn't ask me to do it then it's just like more family time so that's good too bring the family uh you know i don't think that's gonna happen but uh, <laughs> i was hoping i could bring my brother he's gonna be up from calgary oh, cool. and i was like I was pretty psyched for it and invited him and he was just like, yeah, I can't imagine a world where I have the energy for that. And I was like, the energy to sit for 90 minutes? You know, so I don't know if he just doesn't want to do it or not. Anyway, the point is, it's looking like it'll be a Lee thing. I saw him at yeah. the, oh, we, we were at the Comic-Con. Didn't think oh, to yeah, mention yeah. that. In Orleans and yeah, and Josh was there. Lee was there. I was talking about that. And he was, you know, it was funny. Seeing Lee at a Comic-Con type scenario was always funny because you can hear him from across the yeah, room. Yeah, you just hear his laugh <laughs> on the wind. Yeah, so it was amazing. I kept running into people I knew. I felt like so popular there but anyways yeah no so i think i haven't heard a word and it's tuesday and i find like he's usually pretty good like it's maybe like wednesday yeah, cut off yeah, yeah. Usually. like it's rare he'll like, day before two days before he'll be like oh my god can you do it but not impossible so and i always forget to mention because i'm a bad host of for those who don't know what saturday night cinema is it's our free for members members only secret midnight movie presentation and it's always like an old b drive-in movie something weird could be a biker movie or a monster movie or some weird international zombie movie but it's always something that you maybe have never heard before and is awesome to see on the big screen yeah and lee was like uh i don't, I don't know maybe we should go back to one cinema a month and i was like no no i think two is uh, where it's at yeah you're gonna be doing that i mean i'm biased because then it's like twice the chance he'll ask me to do one but i, yeah. I didn't want to tell him that at the time and then we continue our noir vember with the postman always rings twice oh yeah which i've never seen That's and same. i love seeing these old 1940s movies up on the big screen and then finally this week we have i somehow if i've heard of this movie i forgot about it 
but people seem very excited that we're screening Messiah of Evil. Dude, it's so good. Have you seen know. Messiah of Evil, Andrew? I have not. I just wanted to remember your name also because I'm, <laughs> I'm terrible with names. I was like, I have to say it out loud or I'll forget. But it's so it's uh, 72? 73, I think. Yeah, and it is, it is so good. It's like one of those movies. I don't even know what genre this is, but it's one of those ones where it's like usually a young woman, but person goes to a small town and everything's kind of eerie and creepy and you're not sure what's up and it's is the town crazy or not and what's going on. Like one of those types of movies that I love. Of, I don't know how many in that genre there are, but this is one of those ones. And it's like, yeah, I think she's trying to find her dad or something like that, or her dad's disappeared. And there's just eerie stuff going on and maybe some sort of evil messiah, perhaps. Who knows? But, <laughs> but really good movie. The reason why I'm shocked at myself that I didn't know about this movie is it's directed by Gloria Katz and Willard Hike. I just found out it's pronounced Hike and not it's H-U-Y-C-K. Oh, wow. But I just found out it's pronounced Willard Hike. Anyhow, they are friends with George Lucas and went to school with George. And they co-wrote American Graffiti, ghost wrote Star Wars A New Hope, co-wrote Temple of Doom, and then directed and wrote Howard the Duck. And that was when they got (laughs) it. Yeah, you know, you were like classic, classic. (laughs) Well, anyway. You had a roll there. (laughs) But it's so funny how director jail is a thing. And that you look at their career after that, they wrote a movie that I actually really liked called Radio Land Murders that George Lucas produced. Kind of a little movie. Nothing really happened with it. Mm. But they got an Oscar nomination for American Graffiti. Temple of Doom is a big hit. And then I don't know how much of Star Wars they ghost wrote, but they did write some of Star Wars. That made them rich because George was very good with giving out bonus points to his friends and crew members. Good on you, George. So a lot of people got, oh, you get, however they do it, you get one point, you get half a point, you get whatever. He made a lot of people millionaires because they helped him with the script or they were actors. All the main actors like Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, even if they hadn't have gone on to do other things, they got big paychecks for that movie because he shared the wealth. So they did this movie right around the time I think it was either right after or before American Graffiti. It's just one of those kind of lost to me movies that now, thanks to places like the American Genre Film Archive and these digital restorations are becoming available. It's that argument of film versus digital where it's fun to show stuff on film. Film is great. But the argument is you would never find a film print of this that sadly would be the quality of this restoration that the producers or the filmmakers got to look at and approve and get back out there and it's out on the big screen and agfa's business model is it plays at a bunch of mayfair type theaters and then we'll go on to blu-ray and a bunch of nerds will buy it on blu-ray and that kind of pays for the restoration i'm looking so forward to seeing this movie because i love seeing i joke sometimes i'm like i think we can just stop making movies because there's so many many movies movies (laughs) from the 70s that i'm like i've never heard of that oh man so yeah i don't want to overhype it but i think you'll like it oh i better it's the best movie i've ever seen in my life is it better (laughs) or worse than howard the duck it's much better it's much eerier well in a different way i mean howard the duck is eerie (laughs) you're just like what the hell's happening here why am i watching this way but no this one is uh super super good i was shocked to see we got it it feels like a very random pick but it's so i love that genre that there's that 70s kind of satanic panic kind of like people going camping or a school or and there's a cult or even like let's scare jessica to death is another good one i think that's the same year actually yeah that's another great one so many like we just did a film festival like footprints on the moon that's another great one like there's so many really awesome la orm it's also called anyways yeah yeah, the so next many... hour is me naming random yeah. movies you should see. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the movies we're screening this week. Do we have any closing thoughts on Coffee to Cocktails before we wrap things up? Well, I'm mainly excited to screen it just to show 
all the people who are involved with it. The cast, the crew, my dad, hereafter known as the location manager. (laughs) And to show them all their hard work because they really killed it. And I appreciate their contribution more than they probably know. And I wanted to reward them for that. So I hope they enjoy seeing it on the, up, up on the big screen. I hope they invite a lot of people. Yep. And can't wait. Excellent. So yeah, so we're going to wrap things up. You can find out information about Coffee to Cocktails and all the other movies we just talked about at MayfairTheater.ca. This podcast, if you're listening in a timely manner, will be posted a few days before that screening. So be sure to come and check it out. We're on all the social media stuff. And thanks for joining us, Andrew, and look forward to seeing the movie in a few days. Thanks for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. If you'd like to see some trailers behind the scenes for Coffee to Cocktails, you can check out my YouTube channel, Andrew Brannon. If you want to see some behind the scenes photos, they're up on Instagram, andrew.brannon. And if you want to hear some more of my voice talking about movies, you can listen to the podcast that my wife and I do called Pause It For Me, which you can find on most major podcast streaming platforms. Cool. Huge. This guy's ready. Yeah. (laughs) Usually they panic at the end, but no, he nailed it. I'm glad we had a guest this week because I'm losing my voice and I did not too bad, but I heard myself Simpsons like, you're moist towelette, sir. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering. I was going to bring that up, your hilarious but awesome voice. (laughs) You did a great job. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We had a lot of fun, but it made me think of Coffee and Cigarettes, which is another great film, but it didn't have cocktails, so I wasn't interested in that one. The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, a film that's being called the most inspired concert movie ever made. MTV presents the American release of the first full-length movie from The Talking Heads. Watch MTV for the theater listing in your city. The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. We think it's about time that movies stop making sense.